some people don't peak until they're 30 to 35. You know, some people try for 15 years and then get on the PGA Tour when they're 35 and have five good years until they're 40. Like we're in this for the long run. And so you constantly have to have people who help you like in your inner circle who are really good influences and who can remind you of that. This is The Tournament Code. Will, with that being said, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Before we get out to what it's like playing golf professionally, for for that, we start with our, every guest in the same spot, which is, how did you get into the game of golf? Yeah, so again, thanks so much for having me. But yeah, first things first. So I guess I was pretty fortunate when I was younger. I have a sister who's 11 years older than me. And so uh, when I was born, she was taking up the game in middle school and uh, she's a lefty. So I sat in my parent in my little carriage seat and, and uh, watched her practice in the backyard. And I, it was kind of a mirror because she was lefty. And then I, once I was able to kind of stand up and, and, swing a plastic club i just sort of watched her and i don't really remember doing that but my parents have pictures of me uh doing that and so that was the very first introduction and uh, my sister and i are real close she's actually a uh, head golf professional at a course in naples florida so she played in college she went through the pgm program at methodist university and then uh, worked at some really good clubs in the northeast and eventually got a head pro job down in naples so you know She's been a huge influence on my my golf game, especially from a, a young age. So that's sort of how I got introduced to the game, and and then my dad and you know he he had some family members that that played, uh, but he didn't really play. But my dad knew that golf was what he wanted me to get into. He he knew it was it was really good for you know life in general. It's, it's not just a sport. It's sort of you can, you can learn some really good life lessons and some good values playing it so he got me into you kind of took, took the wheel from there and you know now we're here so absolutely it's nice to have someone whose example you can follow cooper and i both came from non-golfing families and so we were the first to figure it out my little sister didn't play golf but cooper's youngest brother plays golf now and just even being like five years difference as they are, there's a lot you can bring to the table as far as like making all the mistakes in the world, which we did going through that process. So it was cool to hear how your sister kind of helped you probably avoid a lot of those mistakes when it came to like playing tournament golf, et cetera. When did you start figuring out, Hey, I want to play some competitively. And were there any other sports you were playing? Yeah. So that was one of the things I think my, my, my dad did really well with me was he allowed me to play other sports as well. But in the back of his mind, it was all catered toward golf, I think. So, you know, after school, I would play soccer with, with the, the guys. We, you know, I did almost every sport after school, but not really on a sports team. It was more just uh, recreationally. And so that kind of kept the focus on golf. But the main thing was he, started me uh, on the swim team when I was really young at our local YMCA. So I swam pretty competitively uh, through high school, all the way from probably seven, eight years old until I was 16, 17. And again, in the back of his mind was, okay, being from the Northeast originally, 
the winter time I couldn't play golf because there was snow on the ground. And so what could I do from November through March that would enhance, you know, my golf game come the season, which come April and May. And swimming was his idea of really good physical activity. And just instead of lifting weights or, you know, doing TPI stuff, which we didn't really have the financial means to, to do all that. Uh, he just put me in the pool and I learned how to swim and I ended up loving it. So swimming was a huge part of my, my younger days. I think that got me physically in a really good position to succeed in junior golf and, and whatnot. One of the things that people maybe forget about swimming too is the work ethic that it teaches you. We had a girl that went to my school who competed in the Olympics and I went to a tiny school, but she went to our school, competed in Olympics, and I wasn't that close to her age. But from the from what they told us just about that routine, like, you know, you're up in the morning, early, practicing, et cetera. You're doing it later in the day too. Yep. Did that work ethic translate at all to golf for you? And you liked you liked swimming a lot. Was it clear to you that golf was really the thing you wanted to play? Yeah. So I guess first first off, it um I had a conversation with my swim coach when I was probably 13 or 14. And at that time, that was when I was really getting into the meat of, you know, looking at colleges, playing on the AJGA, you know, traveling around the country for golf. And at the same time, swimming, you know, for him and uh, on my swim team. And I was like, well, what does college swimming look like? And he was like, well, you're in the pool twice a day. You know, you're up at five o'clock and then you also have to go to the gym and work out. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'll stick to golf. <laughs> and, uh, kind of make that my my top priority. So so that was when I kind of weeded out swimming from that process and I just enjoyed it from a social aspect, but a really good, you know, workout as well. And then to your second question about, you know, like you said, the work work ethic and training process relating to golf. I don't think I think they're different from each other. You know, swimming I was on a team, it's more of a, a team aspect. And as much as you know, nowadays golf is trying to become more of a team sport almost. And in college, you look at it as a team sport, but at the end of the day, it's just you, it's just you and the golf ball on the golf course. And you're just, it's your individual score. And then you, you put four scores together and that's your team score, you know? So I think they're different and we'll get into this more, I'm sure. But my college experience in my college, just the whole lifestyle was, was completely different and, and changed a lot during the four years. So. That's that's that was probably a whole different experience in itself. So as a junior, you know, you were playing in all these AJGAs, traveling around the country, and you started to think about playing college golf. And you went on to play at Georgia Tech, which is yeah. one of the best programs in the country. So what were the steps that you took to get to that point? Yeah, so really, really good question. And I think this is probably one of the most the more valuable points that I would have to make is like I said, originally from Providence, Rhode Island, I couldn't play golf really competitively from October, November until April. And so, and my dad knew this and, and from his experiences with my sister, cause she, so, she, so an example is she ran track when she was really young and her track coach said, he said, John, th there's three types of speeds. There's Rhode Island speed, there's New England speed, and there's USA country speed. And if you want to compete against the best the fastest people in the United States, you have to travel around the country and compete with them. And so what my dad did for me was from a young age, 
you know, I missed school days. I missed a bunch of classes in high school and middle school, and my teachers weren't very happy about it. But he made the sacrifice to travel with me around the country. And when most guys from the Northeast weren't doing that, they would just stick and play the local Northeastern tournaments, which are great. It's fine. But like my sister's track coach told my dad, he said, if you want to compete with the best players in the country, you have to travel around the country. And because, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas golf is a lot different than Rhode Island golf. And so that was definitely a big, a big step in starting that process really young. At the time, 2015, 2016, I was probably one of the younger guys out there looking at schools and had done a good amount of travel to that point. And so I was kind of ahead of that curb. And so one of the things I would tell younger guys now in high school is you have to get out as soon as possible because if you wait until your junior or your senior year to really play these national tournaments and, and travel, it's most likely too late. Rosters have all, already been almost all filled, and it's just so hard to to jump ahead of guys who have been traveling and playing national events for so long. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope that that answers answers that question. No, I think that's a spot on point too. I was one of those guys that was a late bloomer. I didn't to give you context. I didn't even start playing competitive golf until my sophomore year of high school, maybe. And golf didn't become the only sport I played or that I even spent much time on until my junior, senior year of high school. So uh, I was way behind the eight ball and got lucky with a few things in my life that gave me the opportunity and a little bit of hard work to get there. But that is dead on as far as getting out there. And one of the things that getting out there also does is it mirrors college golf. Like you have to learn how to be able to travel. You have to learn how to be able to play in different environments. Whereas when you're playing only the local tours, et cetera, and some of those smaller events, like you get used to playing the same courses, you know, what's going to happen. You don't have to really think that much as far as getting out there in your practice rounds, if you want, because it's a uh, second, it's second nature. It's an old hat for you. Tell us a little bit about traveling around and what you did to prepare for golf tournaments at that time. In, in junior golf. Correct. Yes. So again, my, my dad was with me almost every time in junior golf and you know, he, he was a realtor for 25 years and he dropped his real estate license literally to, to help me travel and to be, to figure out the ins and outs of junior golf. So he was incredibly helpful and, you know, was with me almost every step of that way. And so, and, you know, he tried to set a really good example of how to do the travel and things the right way. And it that's extremely hard. That's why they have, you know, people whose jobs it is to, to do that, to help parents, to help junior golfers. And, and that might be why you guys have this podcast too. You know, you know people can learn, right? And so that tra- that that I definitely learned a lot traveling in junior golf. But again, it's it's different i feel like when you get to the college level you're with your head coach and you're with the rest of the guys so you have different avenues to you have different people to hang out with and i feel like if your head coach like almost acts as like a father figure to you it's also there's there's positives and negatives to it 
And, you know, Coach Hepler, one of his best, one of the best aspects of playing golf at Georgia Tech was our travel to play the best tournaments at the best courses. And so he would already have everything organized for you. You know, our boarding passes were in our Delta app before we even left. You know, we, we, we were able to fly first class to, to some tournaments by private, like do really, really cool stuff. And so the travel aspect was very, made us, made it very easy. The part that was difficult was especially freshman, sophomore year. You know, I didn't really, I didn't play, I didn't travel to a single tournament until my senior year in college. If you look back at my college results, I played absolutely terrible in our home event. That's the only tournament I played for the first three years. And so, but from the other guys and knowing what they went through, you know, the schoolwork and your time management was definitely the most important thing when you get onto the road. And that's hard to replicate in, in high school because the workload just isn't really there. And so that's the difficulty about college golf is like you're, you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you have to figure this stuff out almost on your own. And, um, you know, that can be overwhelming for some people and, it's just kind of about how quickly you can handle that and and get through that. So what were some of those struggles that you faced in your first three years of college golf? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I was coming from Rhode Island and I was a huge fish in a very small pond. I felt like all the eyes were sort of on me at that point. And when I got down here, it was almost like, I was playing for everybody else back home. I was playing for my parents and I wanted to sort of impress everybody. I, I was probably a pretty cocky 18, 19 year old. And I, that kind of quickly backfired on me. I tore my AC, my ACL and MCL, my right knee playing basketball, which I probably shouldn't have been doing while the team was away at ACC championships. That was the end of my freshman year. It was a eight, 10 month recovery into my sophomore year. And then my first ever golf tournament with Georgia Tech at our home event, playing against everybody that I had grown up, you know, competing with and beating, you know, for the most part, I shot like 30 something over. I was shot like 85, 80, I shot like 88, 85 or something came in dead last by like 20 shots. So, you know, times were not very good at that point. <laughs> My schoolwork wasn't very good, you know. My my relationships, even with my my parents and, and family, you know, wasn't great, and it was sort of all coming to to an end, to like a bottom point where Coach Hepler ultimately sat me sat, sat me down in his office and was like, you know, we don't really think Georgia Tech's the right place for you. You know, you should we should look into getting you somewhere else, and. You know, so at the end of my sophomore year, I went home for the first time in two years. I spent the summer at home. I, I caddied almost every day at Rhode Island Country Club. I didn't play any tournaments. I just sort of practiced. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to get my degree from Georgia Tech. So transferring early and not graduating at Tech wasn't really an option. I was determined to kind of to kind of get through it. And at that point, if I played college golf or not, that wasn't really the main deal i just wanted to like be happy and succeed and get a good 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 education and then halfway through junior year still hadn't played good at all really but i was seeing signs of improvement my schoolwork was getting better 
I, my, my friendships were getting better with, with guys on the team, with my, with my parents and everything. And, and then COVID hit. And, you know, I know COVID was a terrible experience for, for a lot of people. And I say this, you know, not to make light of it, but to me, it was like the best thing that ever happened. I moved away from campus to, to a really small town. And it's where my, my girlfriend's family is actually from. It's just south of Augusta. It's a small town called Waynesboro, Georgia. And I spent the next like five months, literally, I never practiced. I just played like money games, like with the local rednecks, basically. Um, it was the most fun I've ever had on a golf course. And I sort of rediscovered my love for the game after the last like six, seven years of the most strenuous like tournament golf through, through junior golf and, and college. And I just fell in love with like the process of trying to get better. And like, I, I learned how to score again. I learned how to feel, you know, confident and happy on the golf course. And all of a sudden my scores just, well, I mean, I went from shooting 75s to 64s and 65s, like without even really trying. And yeah, the course was easy over in a small town. It was the only golf course in the town, little dog track golf course, but like, I just learned how to hit shots again and like I learned how to enjoy the game. And I feel like that's lost so much from a young age now. Like, you know, kids try to be perfect from the time they're eight, nine, 10 years old. And it's like, you have a lifetime of this game to like enjoy and master, like have fun with it. Like being artists, like you have to keep it fun. Otherwise you're just going to get completely burnt out. And I guess it's a good way to describe how I was feeling after three years in college. So you know, things have been on an uptick kind of ever since, ever since then. And so not to say that, you know, things are, you run into challenges and, and stuff along the way, but, you know, professional golf is a whole different animal. So just learning how to tackle that now and hopefully we can continue to, to keep getting better. And I'll, I'll always have, you know, that memory in the back of my mind. And hopefully, you know, if, if when times aren't, aren't great in professional golf, I can look back at, at that time junior senior year and be like hey like you played the best when you're just having fun and, and smiling and and trying to enjoy the game so that was kind of a little runoff there but i feel like the the overall message is was is worth it was that experience in that small town and playing in those money games something that changed your direction on whether or not to turn pro yeah I, so what happened was after that experience and i went back to school for my senior year that fall i you know i i i knew i could i knew i could compete again i knew i could beat the guys on the team i knew my game my game never left me it was just off the course in my head it, it was things that i had to get under, under control and so i i always knew that i had the golf game but it was just a matter of putting it together and like, and, you know, thankfully I, I had that experience of doing that. And so, yeah, you know, playing almost every tournament my senior year, having the experiences of traveling with the guys, going to national championships, like all that certainly helped my decision uh, in, in, in turning professional. But at the end of the day, I was probably going to give it a shot no matter what. Because I would definitely regret it if I if I never did. Uh, it's I've wanted to play professionally my entire life, and so you know, I uh, I probably would have done it no matter what. 
Yeah, we kind of glossed a little over your junior career, but you lost, you went, essentially you went from playing in the quarterfinals of the U.S. junior where you lost to eventual champion Wills Altoris to those first two years just struggling, not being able to play much, and then going to Waynesboro, kind of having this revival down there of getting used to shooting under par. And you said it's a dog track, but that's something that Cooper and I talk about a lot and probably so much so that our listeners might be annoyed of it at this point, but there's something to getting used to shooting low scores, even if it's on a bad course. Like we grew up, we grew up on a 7,200. There are two courses actually that uh, we grew up on because part of the same club, 7,200. One of them hosts a PGA tour event right now. And the thing about that is you think that you want to play from the tips when you go out there. You're like, all right, well, like the pros play from back here. So if I want to be like them, I got to play from back here. But what we found and Cooper found it after at, at the end of college, he found this and I found it maybe after law schools that you got to get comfortable shooting low scores. And you've had a bunch of eighties or something like that. It you're not 80, but it affects your psyche and you get used to it. You just get used to where you're at. And so yeah. being able to step out, it's it's like in basketball, like and when I'm doing, well, I play basketball still, when I'm working on my forum, I'm not working on, I'm not going out to the three point line and working on it. I'm stepping up close to the basket. I'm just working on my form. And then I'm getting used to making shots and then I'm stepping out a little bit and getting used to it, but I'm at least seeing it go in, et cetera. Tell us a little bit more about how that time shooting in, getting used to shooting in the sixties again, getting back to where you were and how, and whether you've carried that practice on again, whether you still go out and like, Hey, like I'm playing from closer up today. Cause I want to get, a, I want to make sure that I'm getting used to it. Yeah. So I think I look at it as I, I want to try to play as many times on the course, whether it's in money games or by myself rather than spending a whole week on the, on the, at our practice facility hitting golf balls. So there's certain times where, yeah, you spend hours on the range, whether it's, you know, you're doing drills, you're working on your swing, whatever. But when I was really struggling, I never went to the golf course. I didn't, I didn't want to be at the golf course. I would, I feared the golf course because I didn't want to shoot 85 and embarrass myself. But what being in Waynesboro taught me was, because they didn't have a range. They had, a, they had a, a red flag, a white flag, and a blue flag. And their golf balls were basically falling apart. So I never warmed up before any of my rounds at, in, at in Waynesboro. And I just I played almost every single day. And so when I catch myself in a rut here, I, I don't go to our facility. I don't really practice. I'll go to the golf course and just play. And, you know, whether it's from... I don't really go, I don't really play the up tees very often here because our, our course, you know, golf club is, if you're, if you can learn how to play well at golf club, I think it, it suits you well at a lot of places. It's pretty tight, but if you're hitting the ball really well, you have a bunch of wedges. So like you can score really low regardless, but I'll just play as many holes as I can. I'll go out with a buddy. We'll play a two on two best ball. We'll have fun or we'll play a match against each other. And so I think the main message is, you know, I, I think it's really important to step away from the range and put a put a scorecard in your hands and get really comfortable going low like on the golf course. You can't go low on the range. You can try to simulate pressure as much as possible, but 
it's nothing like being on the golf course. And so shooting all those low scores really consistently, your confidence just rises. You feel a lot more comfortable out there. And it took me some time once I got back here to Atlanta, playing with the guys on the team uh, my senior year to really feel like I did back in Waynesboro. But eventually, you know, eventually I shot 69 or, you know, then it was a 67, then it was a 65 here in Atlanta. And I was like, okay, now, like, now it's actually becoming more natural and, and I know I can do this. And so, so yeah, that's just, I think it's so important to, to just really play as much golf as possible. And that's what I love about being in season is like, I only have a couple of days here this week to practice. Like I, I can't just spend five, six hours uh, every single day for a week hitting golf balls, you know? I flew home last night from Texas, worked out this morning, you know, I'll practice for a couple hours this afternoon. Then like two in two days, I'll leave for Florida again for another Monday qualifier. So like, and some days I only have one one day back home and then I go to the next thing. So you're just playing tournaments over and over and over again. And I think that's how you get better. You get better playing in tournaments. And so that, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, what I learned and, what I try to keep reminding myself about. That's perfect. And that's a great insight into the practice versus play mentality. I appreciate you sharing that when, as you mentioned, you're playing professionally now and you weren't sure you thought you were going to give it a shot no matter what. But once you saw your game come back, you're like, Hey, this is what I'm going to spend my time doing. Tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like so far and what you've learned. Yeah. So Last year was my first year playing professionally. And uh, gosh, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I think the best thing is because I had, I had such a low experience in college for, for the first two or three years. I, I feel like my attitude and my, my mentality is a lot better than, than most guys. Like I enjoy being out at a Monday, at a Monday qualifier. I enjoy, you know, playing dog track courses on mini tour events like it's just fun for me and when i'm not playing well i catch myself not having fun and when i when i play freely and when i play with with some joy it's like that's when the low scores happen and so there's such a balance in in practicing now that is to say like when i practice i take it really seriously like obviously i'll set up all my drills I'll have practice days where I put my headphones in. I don't really want to talk to anybody. And then you get on the course, or you go to a mini tour event or a Monday and it's like, okay, you just traveled all this way from Texas or all this way to Texas for a Monday qualifier. You have to shoot like eight under to get in. Is this worth it? Well, if you have a really good attitude and you try to have fun and you do the best you can, then yeah, it's going to be a good experience and hopefully you'll learn something. But if you step on the first tee being like, okay, I have to shoot 20 under for three days to like make my, to make any money or, you know, shoot eight, nine under just to one to qualify. You're already going in with a bad attitude. And so I think that your mindset is so important. I think that's the main thing that I've, that I've probably learned. And, you know, I think when you go to, when I, so last year, I, when I qualified for three corn fairy tournaments, obviously getting the experience on the corn fairy tour was, was great playing against the best players in the world. And, but I even see it out there because I, I look for things like that. 
like the guys who are having fun and enjoying it are the guys who are playing well. The guys who are complaining each week, you know, kind of have bad attitudes or taking it way, way too seriously are the guys who might be struggling. And and certainly that's not all cases, but that's just the thing that I, that I noticed. And my first ever corn fairy tournament I played in, I had one of my best friends caddy for me and we kept it really light. He, we were joking the entire time. Now, when it was time to hit a shot, we kind of locked in, but like that event was the, was the best finish I had. You know, I made the cut. I almost came top 25 that week. And, and I just feel like that was very important and crucial to, to, to how I played that week. So I think there's definitely some truth to that. You know, now that you're playing professionally, you're playing for money, you're playing to support yourself. And in some ways it's, you're playing for a lot more than, you know, you did in college. So is it harder mentally or has that actually helped your performance? As of recent, it's been a little bit harder. So coming into my second year, obviously uh, the expectations are high. You know, I had a lot of good experiences last year, winning a few tournaments, Monday qualifying. And so this year, it's been a little bit more difficult. My game's in a good spot. I just haven't been able to really play to my potential in my tournament so far this year. And, you know, financially, uh, questions start coming in the back of your mind. Like, okay, you know, can I do this? Can I afford to do this? You know, who's going to help me? You know, how am I going to pay for Q school this fall, which is going to go up another, you know, a thousand bucks from last year. And so this, at the start, the start of this year has been a little bit more difficult. But again, I just feel like you have to look at it in a whole season's worth of tournaments. Like we're getting almost, we're getting ready for Q school almost the entire year. And so if you can just keep every day, just trying to do one small thing that might make a big difference um, and just build on it, just trying to gain a little bit better each day, whether that's in the gym, whether that's your nutrition whether that's you know how you practice or whatever like i feel like the little small things throughout the whole season will add up at the end of the at the end of the year during q school when when it really really matters so i think it's just a combination of a lot of things that that ultimately will you know will kind of predict how you how you're going to finish the year and hopefully in my case you know get get corn free status for 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 next year and and then we can sort of uh you know move forward from there how difficult is it to have that long range mentality when, you know, you may play well in a mini tour event, but you still might not, you know, make any money or make that much money? Yeah. Like these last, this last month, uh, I missed the cut three times in a row by a shot. I shot under par for, t- for two rounds each time. I think I was like two under, three under, and like four under. And I missed the cut every time. And so it's that, and same with the Mondays. I've shot under par in each of the Mondays so far and haven't Monday in, obviously. And so, you know, you can, you see guys who start the year hot, like they're playing really well. And you're like, dang, like I, you know, I think my game's good enough. I, I know I can beat those guys. You know, how come I'm not doing it right away? And that's literally the conversation that I'm having right now with my coach and some other guys, you know, that, that helped me. And so 
we're really just trying to focus on the things that I know that I do really well and just try to get a little bit better each day. And at the end of the season, you know, we'll be in a good spot. And but yeah, it's, it's very hard. Like you want things to happen to you right away. You want to play well right away, but you have to realize that we're in this for the long run. Otherwise you wouldn't be playing professional golf. Like some people don't peak until they're 30 to 35. You know, some people try for 15 years and then get on the PJ tour when they're 35 and have five good years until they're 40. Like, this is, this is a, we're in this for the long run. And so you constantly have to have people who help you like in your inner circle who are really good influences and who can remind you of that. And, um, that's, that's just the challenge of golf. That's why golf is a really, really cool, unbelievable, uh, sport. And, um, you know, I guess that's why, why I love the game. I understand that. And I think that idea regarding having a good inner circle is especially important when it comes to your inner circle. Tell us a little bit about each of the people who are part of it, starting with, you mentioned your coach, tell us a little bit about your coach, how you ended up choosing them, what working with them is like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So my coach, his name is Keith Stewart. He's from um, New Jersey. He was I first met him when I was eight years old at uh, the course that my grandparents were members at in Rhode Island. He was an assistant pro. And at the time, my my sister was looking for a guy to take lessons from because she, I believe, was still in high school and or she was maybe freshman in college at that point. But my my coach had or my dad had had enough with coaches who just taught out of a golf range and he wanted a coach that would bring us out on the golf course because ultimately golf is played on the course, not on the range. And so he found this guy who was based out of a golf course, obviously. And I've been taking lessons from him ever since. So Keith is like a father figure to me. I can talk to him about anything, personal issues, whatever it is. I can call him late at night, early in the morning, and he will get back to me one way or the other. And I think it's just so important to have somebody like that and we have gone through our ups and downs. Like we started off really, really well, obviously in junior golf. Like I played well when I was really young. I, you know, beat Cameron Young and John Pack in the same day at the U.S. Junior and then almost beat Wills out. And I was three up through five on Wills out Taurus before he played the next 12 holes and eight under. So, um, <laughs> you know, he, so, and then obviously like couldn't break 80 for three years in college. So like, and there was some stuff that went on during that time that, you know, we, we separated or we, yeah, I mean, I went and saw a couple of their guys for a month or two here and there, but nothing's like a relationship that you have with someone over, you know, 10, 15 years. And so, you know, we, we kind of rekindled the flame a few years ago and uh, we've, we've improved ever since. So I think having Keith is awesome. And uh, I also think having guys and friends that you can talk to who aren't golfers is really important. I have some of my best friends played football and baseball at Georgia Tech. And I actually lived with two, I lived with two guys who played one on the baseball team, one on the football team my senior year. And so when I would come back from a tournament or come back from practice, instead of being around guys who are on the golf team, 
every second of the day and having golf be the conversation every second of the day. I came home to guys who had different schedules, played different sports, had different interests. And so that got my mind off golf team stuff and golf in general for, you know, the 14 hours I might spend, you know, in my, uh, in my apartment, you know, before the next day. And so um, I think having people like that is also really important to talk to. And as you can tell, like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty set on the idea that like the mental side of it is definitely the most important side to golf. I think that's ultimately what separates the really good players from guys who may not make it. And I just think so many, there's so many things as far as that goes, that's really important to, to how successful you are and, and how well you can play. So yeah, between my coach and a couple of really good friends, my sister, obviously, and you know, my trainer, I guess you would call him just a handful of people that I, I trust and would be willing to do anything for. And I know that they, put all their 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 time and, and interest into me and so i'm incredibly thankful for that so yeah and as well as your your, your parents obviously who, who have really helped support me just a small a small group is all you need and i think it's just you cannot do it alone so i i think that's a very very good a good point so when you were a junior player and you were beaten all those great players in the U.S. Junior playing really good golf. Give us some insight into how you were thinking and feeling mentally and then mm-hmm. kind of how that might have been lost when you started playing poorly in college and then how that might have came back recently. Yeah, specifically, I think the way I was using my creativity and my feel and my imagination around a golf course. I particularly like to curve the ball a good amount in both directions. I like to know which way my ball is going to curve. And so I, when I do curve it, I tend to curve it probably more than most people do. And when I was really young, I always like, I just really enjoyed doing that. I like to spin it. I like to almost, you know, kind of play like flashy golf kind of, I hit it pretty far, but my short game was good. So like, I just really enjoyed going out and almost trying to like show off and it might sound weird. I don't know, but in college I found myself being so like protective and like not wanting to make a mistake and not wanting to short side myself, not wanting to three putt like all because I didn't want my coaches or I just didn't want to make a mistake. And so that was lost for many years. And again, going to Waynesboro in my case, or when I turned pro and being by myself, I I was then in control of what I did. I can control when I wake up. I control when I go to bed. I can control what I eat. I control everything I do in my entire day, which is an insane like luxury to have. And I can also control my golf game. I can control what I hit off the tees. I can control what shot I hit. If I hit a fade, a draw, if I want to hit it low, high, whatever. Like, it's on me. I'm not playing for anybody else. And so that imagination, that feel, that creativity, that's when I have the most fun and that's when I play the best is when I, is when I do that. And so, 
yeah, I think that's just a really important thing, like not to lose. And because um, there's certainly people out there that try to tell you how to play, how to play the game. They try to say you can only, you know, hit it one shot shape, only hit it or, you know, just try to hit it straight. Don't try to curve the ball. Like it's too hard to curve the ball. I think it's different for everybody. I think everybody has their own things that they want, like to do. And, you know, I just remember when I was playing my best in junior golf, that's what I did. And I did not do that in college. And now I try to do it again. So, yeah. Different strokes for different folks. I get that completely. And I think that you find good color there as far as getting back to your roots, as far as like golf is a living for people. And it's a hope for a living too. But at the same time, like golf at some point in time is supposed to be a little bit of fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. And if you're scared, tentative, and worried about what everyone's going to think of you and associate what they're going to associate with you because of your score, it could be hard to go out there and perform. And you said the mental is one of the most important parts for you. Tell us about and did you did you guys as a team or individually do any work with mental coaches and what was that like or what did you learn? So as a team, I know um, Bob Bertella, coach had Bob Bertella come down and visit us once, I believe. But we uh, we didn't really, you know, it was sort of on you to go to the co- to go to the coaches and say, hey, I need this or I need help with this. That's one of Hepler's sort of philosophies is, is pretty hands-off with things like that. We don't have structured practices. All of our practices are by ourselves. Like we, you know, his philosophy was like, okay, everybody has their own swing coach. Everybody wants to practice different things. Why should I make uh, maybe, you know, Luke Schneider-Jans practice driving the ball when he's one of the best drivers in the world? Why should I practice? Why should I have Ty Strafacci practice wedges when he's the best player in the one best wedge player in the world. And so he allowed us to do anything we wanted to, but back to your uh, question, I think everybody, you know, should reach out to a, a mental performance coach. I think there's a reason why the best players in the world do like they all have their swing coaches. They all have a team around them. And um, most players have a, a mental performance coach because I think they recognize how important that is, not just to the golf game, but to their to their happiness and to their health in general. So that's something that, like I said earlier, I'm currently working with and starting a process with, uh, with, with my coach right now. And I just, you know, now that I've been out here for a year and a half or so, I, I see the guys who are really excelling in that area and, and, and the guys who don't excel in that area and the guys who do have a much better time out there and they play a lot better golf. So I think that's a big thing. You said you were getting that process started with your coach. What does that look like as far as figuring a figure out who you're going to work with, or you've already figured it out. What does that look like? And what do you kind of hope to Similarly, like how you have practice plans or practice mm-hmm. schedules, what do you hope your schedule with a coach would look like to get the most out of it that you can? Yeah, so I think a lot of it, so some of it starts with pra- with my practice schedule in general. Like we're trying to make practices as hard as possible. If you read or hear anything about the best athletes in the world, like a Kobe Bryant, 
or a Tom Brady or Tiger Woods, their pra- they always said that their practices are a lot harder than their games or their tournaments. And I've noticed that I'm finding my tournaments to be like more under more stress and harder than my practices. And so I think that's a big thing is making my practices trying to emulate and put stress on me and pressure my practices as, as much as possible. But then working with a mental performance coach in general, I'm not going to say exactly who right now, but basically I want to train my, my mind and my brain, how I train my body in the gym and how I train my golf game on the, at the art of practice facility. Like I want to have my mind be my strongest, one of my strongest attributes. I feel like physically I'm in a really good shape. I feel like swing and golf game wise, like I, I have all the ability there is. I feel like in order for me to do that and capitalize on my ability, my mental game needs to be just as strong, if not stronger. And so my goal of working with a mental performance coach is going to be, okay, what tools can he provide that I can work on or to strengthen my mental game? And I just feel like that's been lacking. I've been able to do some stuff by myself and with my swing coach, like to get me through these last couple of years. But if I want to succeed at the very, at the highest level, I feel like, you know, this investment into myself and into my career is something that, um, you know, I'm willing to make. And I literally had this conversation with my coach yesterday. So we're, we're just getting started. Awesome. Coop, you had something. Yeah. I was just going to say, what are, what are some of those ways that you're, trying to create pressure during your practices so basically my 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 basically keith will will come up with a practice plan for me he already i mean he already has uh, done some you know little things in the past but okay so for example like we can start with wedges you have the 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 white uh, rings that go like a, a ring around the flag right you you have a 10 foot ring, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yards, five balls in each ring in a row. Right. So you can't, can't leave until you make five in a row at each ring. Let's see, driving. Okay. We have a fairway at our facility. Pick a 20 yard wide fairway, fairway, hit 10 balls in a row with your, you know, hybrid, three wood and driver. 10 with your hybrid in a row in the fairway, 10 with your three wood, 10 with your driver, and then do 10 in a row with a combination of all three. That's going to take two or three hours if you complete it. Like, I've not, like, there's been times where I can't do that. I, I'd run out of daylight. Hitting 10, you know, hitting 10 drivers in a row into a 20 yard fairway is extremely difficult. So, making practice, right? Okay. Hit 10 wedges from 130 yards onto a green in, in a row. That kind of sounds easy. Okay. It's a, it's a green, it's 130 yards out, 10 in a row on it. By ball seven and eight, you're like, man, I actually feel some pressure here. My heart starts going a little bit faster. Like, I want to do it. Those are the types of things that the best players in the world do. You can use Trapman, create a combine, like wedge combine from 60 to 150 yards. Uh, and you, you have to score above 90. Right? Matt Kuchar and Stuart Sink, two Georgia Tech graduates, say that they do a wedge combine three to five times a week. And their goal is to be above 90 or above 90. So, you know, that may be of a resource to the junior players, to, to college players. Most college teams have 
something like that, like a track man, score above 90. You know, like it's, uh, it's not like when you learn like these games and like things like that, it's like, oh, that sounds pretty like that's not complicated, but it's actually like up to the player to then go do it and then, and then succeed at it. So, and these are hard things to do. So, I mean, um, for people, for people that may not know, like 90 is pretty much world class. Yeah. On one of those. Yeah. Kucher and Kucher and sync. I think Kucher does it before like every, so he does it multiple times before every tournament and his goal is 90. So like if Kucher who's one of the best wedge players in the world, goal is 90. That's pretty darn good. Absolutely. I think that this, it's been really cool to hear your story. And we're excited to see where you go. And I think it's a perfect time to ask you the last question that we ask all of our guests, which is, if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? That is, that's something I thought a little bit about a similar question. That's that's really that's a really good question right there. I would say I would say if I could I mean one word would be like just patience. We live in a world where everything you want you want to have at your fingertips like immediately. You want to win junior golf tournaments immediately you want to be the you want to commit to the best college immediately you want to immediately play on your top five your starting lineup in college you want to turn pro and immediately get to the corn fairy pga tour i think you there's so many values and just being patient with it and realizing that you have so much time to to play the, the really good golf and succeed that you just have to be so patient and like i said Five years from now, you know, I could I could still be on on the Corn Ferry Tour or or working my way to the Corn Ferry Tour. But if I quit and I didn't play one more year, maybe that next year I play really good, get my Corn Ferry Tour card, and then win on the Corn Ferry Tour, and I'm on the PJ Tour at 31 years old. Like I, that's pretty darn good. I still have a lot of left time in me. So again, it's that big picture, being patient. I think if I could pick one word when if I, when I was 13, 14 years old, that would probably be what it is. That's perfect. Where can people find you on social media if they want to reach out to you, learn more about you, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, Instagram's great. Twitter, it's the same user. It's the same. I got the same username for both. And it's like Will Dixon underscore GT, something like that. Yeah, I know there's a couple articles um, and just through Google. I, I know some local Rhode Island channels and some stuff out there. And, but you know, I'm still at the point now where I can be reached by a phone call or a text message. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not world number number one yet. So <laughs> we have a hey. long way to go before that stuff happens. Awesome. Be sure to give Will a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating. If you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Tournament Code and on Instagram at their tournament code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen with us and dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.